We all know that happiness matters. We all know that actually when you get a happier organisation, we drive better results. We know that when happier people drive better teams, drives better organisation. Today, my guest on the podcast is Nick Marks. And in this conversation, I know you're going to find it fascinating. Nick talks about some of his research he's done to prove the link between happiness and productivity. Nick is a statistician. And when you listen to some of the words he uses, you realise actually the soul of what he does really comes out. He's done a lot of work around the government institutions, looking at what happiness means for countries. And now he's using his time to help businesses understand how it drives productivity. Listen out for his view around happiness works and building relationships, but also listen out for his things around how resilience comes from the inside job and how we can track things in a leading indicator to help you take action before it becomes a problem. Please welcome Nick Marks. Enjoy the show. As always, if you have guests that you think would be relevant for the show, please let me know. If you have feedback, let us know. And also, please feel free to send this podcast to those who you think will benefit. In this case, it's a dose of happiness, and I think we could all do with that. So welcome back to the Sparks by Evening podcast. I'm Phil Rose, your host, and today I'm joined by Nick Marks. Nick and I met about a year and a half ago through Don Monkhouse, and Dom and I have talked about some of Nick's work over the last year, including specifically his Friday Pulse business. Uh, Nick described himself as a statistician with a soul. Um, Nick's founder of Friday Pulse, and I've heard him speak a number of times about the word happiness. So before we start, Nick, statistician with soul, what does that mean? It was what a client once described me as, and it became the beloved expression of my marketing director because she thought it captured both, you know, the sort of seriousness of statistics and also the sort of joy and playfulness of happiness. So she wrote it all over my profiles and it's kind of stuck. <laughs> I love it. And it's interesting because we, we first met, and you probably don't recall this, but we met um, at a coffee wagon in a field at Don Moncas's place over a year ago and we were getting a coffee from a guy called James who makes great coffee if anyone ever wants to go and get a coffee um, and I remember you talking to me about some of the work you've done and specifically you were talking about Bhutan um, and your your world of statistics at the time and I was thinking guy this, this guy knows a lot of stuff so tell me about the background to this statistics and how you've then gone on that journey because I think this is the fascinating piece that got me well I mean I was the guy at school who was really good at maths without making any effort I was that annoying one and you know I came top of the year all the way through and I ended up at Cambridge reading maths before I'd even really made a decision in life and and then I, I discovered I wasn't a mathematician at all because it gets very pure you know to do maths at Cambridge or Oxford or any university you, you need a, a good working of the Greek alphabet and you sort of like get very into proofs and I, I like numbers and I don't particularly like Greek letters so I basically worked out that actually what I wanted to do was solve problems or work on problems in the world so after university I, I you know I studied systems thinking and applied statistics and started working on health statistics quality of life statistics and then eventually in about 2001 I ended up at a think tank in London doing work on well-being and how it could be measured yeah. And that was kind of the time that I met the Bhutanese because Bhutan had this idea about gross national happiness and that they basically wanted to think about gross national happiness instead of gross national product. And they kind of thought they'd better measure it. And so I was one of, well, quite a wide group that they, they started talking to about how to do that. But I did go to Bhutan about five times um, and I sort of did a couple of like 
mini sabbaticals of a month, like working with them, really volunteering. I would love to say that they really followed my advice, but I, I'm quite critical actually of how they ch they chose to measure gross okay. national happiness. I thought it was far too complicated, not simple enough, not straightforward enough. But um, but you know, hats off to them. They they certainly made an effort to have an alternative set of indicators. Yeah. yeah. So, so what was it led you down that happiness? You talk about you know going from solving problems, system thinking, and quality of life. So what was the shift that made you recognise this thing about happiness and well being? So I definitely came to well being first. Um, Really, it was about quality of life studies. And, and when I started to look at quality of life studies, I mean, I think I was always interested in big pictures. And, you know, I think they always say that research is research. And so I was probably looking for my own happiness and quality of life and thinking it's not GDP per capita, is it? You know, it's not just money. I mean, I, 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 that comes from a position of being privileged, you know, where I was brought up in a in a well, not only a wealthy family, but a loving family. So I had a very good start in life. And so I started to think that it was more about the love than the money that actually was my sort of uh, good upbringing. And, and so and, and ended up sort of thinking that line. My mother was a family therapist, or well, she's still alive, but she isn't a therapist anymore. But so I got interested in therapy through her and studied to be a therapist uh, when I was young too. And I think it ends up that I become the guy that tries to merge these two different fields of sort of numbers yeah. and experience yeah and, and i think that's interesting isn't it one thing you and i've talked about before about this this arc of life the way things merge from you know the birth through to eventual you know death at some stage and it's interesting you said about you know working therapy because i didn't know that about you until now actually um but it's interesting isn't it because that's where that statistician with the soul comes in in terms of you know researching what it is that makes people happy and i love what you said there about you know the the love not the money effectively was the thing that brought you into a, a better quality of life because a lot of people yeah. i think know this a lot of people you know that they they focus on you know what it is they want in life and they look at the material things but actually we all know that happiness actually comes from another source and it's not often that happiness comes from the material thing. although as someone said if you if you had the money you've got more choice to do things with it but actually the happiness is an inside job at some stage so I wonder, how does that arc of life come about for you now as well? That's quite a big question. I mean, I think that I, um, you know, my work has been an important part of my arc of life. Mm. And um, so thinking about that, I mean, I definitely make big links with my statistics and my therapy. Okay. I used to go and see this wonderful therapist. She's sadly no longer alive. I actually think it should be illegal for wise old women to die. I don't think I think they should be kept alive as a public service because I was quite bereft. I mean, to be bereft that your therapist dies sounds weird, but it's true. You know, she was a very important figure in my life. And she used to say to me, she used to say, Nick, really, a therapist only does three things. They listen to their clients. They reflect back to them what they've heard. And then they ask them questions about, you know, how they could they improve their life. Yeah. And I think of my statistics is exactly the same. You know, when I do a survey, we're listening to a population. When we create reports, we're reflecting back. And then, you know, in the way that we frame things, we, we, we help challenge people to think about how their lives could be better, how their businesses could be better. You know, so, so I think it's the same process. It just uses numbers. Yeah, and that's interesting. I love that in terms of listening, reflecting, asking questions, because you know, as, as a coach, that's exactly what we do. And I think that the merger between therapy, counselling, coaching is such a such a, a, a close-knit area. But I think exactly that. We listen, we reflect, and we ask the questions. I, I, I don't know anything. I just know the questions to ask is what I've often said to people. Yeah. Um, 
and, and I think that that obviously underpins a lot of your work in terms of um, we're going to come on, come on to this in, in terms of Friday Pulse, because that is about listening to the, the pulse of what's going on within an organisation, reflecting it back to people, but then asking the questions as the, you know, the so what questions. Mm. Um, and I think that let, let's go into that now in that case. Tell me a bit about Friday Pulse, because I mentioned it right at the beginning. How did Friday Pulse as, a, as an organisation evolve to what it is now? I mean, it evolved in my arc of life. So I was 10, 15 years working in public policy. Um, you know, I used to advise the the Blair and then the Cameron governments on how to measure well-being. It became very successful, that work. I mean, ended up doing a TED Talk, which is a fairly unique opportunity in life mm. to do. So it was very successful. And that's actually sort of as I did my TED Talk, almost not quite, I sort of say as I came off stage, but it's quite a bit that you sort of thought, well, you bookended a bit of that work. You know, it's, it's you know, I've done 10, 15 years there and it's like it's an opportunity to think about something else. You know, I was in my mid-40s and I thought, well, I wouldn't mind thinking about work. You know, I'd already started to think about well-being at work and happiness at work. And I, I thought it's it's got to be interesting. I've got, you know, the skills from my measurement side. And I I actually think that just as I was critical of governments about how they measured the progress of a nation, pretty critical of businesses about how they measure people's experience. And I thought I'd give that a go. And it started off that we did a one-off survey called a happiness at work survey. The business was called Happiness Works at that time. Yeah. And as we worked with more and more clients, I really understood I needed to, I wanted to do more with the process. So just getting into that little light process of like, you know, this thing reflecting back, asking questions. And so Friday Pulse became a platform that was more real time. That's why it's Friday Pulse. We ask on a Friday, how was your week? So you measure more regularly, actually like therapy weekly process in a way you know um and 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 you you try and define that process particularly for team leaders uh, on how they can talk about what's going on in their teams every week and trying to create a healthy habit you know and um and the great thing with you know with tech is that you know these tech enabled platforms you can build now you can build these nudges into it and that's what we're doing with Friday Pulse now. And, and I love that in terms of, you, know, you, you mentioned the word simplicity earlier and I think that's the thing. I've, I've been using Friday Pulse in our business and, and I've seen other clients use it. We'll talk about that in a minute. And it is really simple. It's a really it's simple that, process. It's that kind of hard-earned simplicity, you know, where you have to go five, ten years through the jungle of complexity and then come out the other end and go, oh, can you just do it this way? And so... It, it is it is in the end and it and i think simple gets used doesn't it yeah and i think you know if you you know i i mean the the first survey i did on happiness at work i think had 108 questions oh my gosh and, right and yes exactly and and it's like it i had to relearn that lesson because i had already learned that lesson once with indicators is complicated indicators you end up with too many parameters in there too many too many assumptions and to go for simplicity can point a direction more. And for whatever reason, I had to relearn it and, and work out again that I you know, needed to be simple again. And then things fall into place more. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of want that simplicity that's not simplistic. You want it to be have depth, but be easy to use. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think I'm sure it was Einstein who talked about things to be reduced into their simplest form, but mm. no more simple. Or, or words to that effect. And I think that's what you've done. You've brought it down into a, a simple form that makes it easy, but you can't go any simpler than that because you would lose the value of it. Because I think at the moment you've captured a lot of value in the very simple question you asked. And the key mention is, well, you know, comparing that with 108 questions, 
it's actually really simple because actually if I'm right, there's only a, number, a, a short number of questions people have to answer and it's done within a couple of minutes. Yeah. You get great results from it. So how, how, do you, how have you interpreted that result to provide such a, you know, you talk about reflection, such a reflection of what's going on in an organisation from such simple questions? So we ask people every week, how happy have you been at work this week? And from very unhappy to very happy. And I call it a good, bad signal. It's really the ultimate good, bad signal. In a sense, all of our feelings and emotions that we experience as humans are are helping us navigate the world. They're helping us, you know, interact with our environment. You know, if we feel frightened, there's a danger, we need to avoid it, you know. Um, And when we feel good, it's sort of a signal that things are good. And so if you think in an organization, in a team, Everybody has that feeling about whether they're happy or not. And what you're doing is you're codifying that. So you're, you're turning their feelings into data. Yeah, okay. and, and it's a very simple good, bad signal. Do you carry on or do you change? So it gives an alert when things are going wrong in a team uh, and it helps you build on, on what's going right. Yeah, um, yeah. There, is, there is more to the product platform than that in the sense that we, 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 we ask some qualitative questions each week, like what's gone well for you so people can celebrate successes. If you want to thank other people, so you build sort of, you know, better, stronger relationships. If they've got frustrations, things to fix. And then once a quarter, we do a deeper dive, um, you know, into a little bit more of the sort of systemic issues. But but basically, the weekly one is very, very simple. Yeah, one to two minutes on a Friday. And, and I think, you know, from, from, from being a user, what it does, it just reflects on what's going on for you at the time. And I think, you know, it's simple, but it helps you just reflect on, okay, how, have, how happy have you been? And one thing you and I talked before about, you know, is trying to get that understanding of, you know, what does happiness mean to me? Because I can, I can relate to, do I feel happy or do I not feel happy? And actually it gives me a chance to just reflect on that for myself. And I think a lot of the time we're not, we don't ask ourselves that question or we don't ask it enough. And also we don't know what happiness really feels like. But I think most people do genuinely know what happiness feels like because they will have experienced it at some stage in their life. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, I mean... The word is used in several different ways in the English language. So, you know, we can say, I feel happy. So that's the emotion. You can say, I'm happy with. That is a cognitive uh, judgment, you know. you. And the third way is you can say, I'm a happy person. So that's a trait. So yeah. we've got lots of different ways we can use the word. And really what I'm trying to tap into is sort of between the first two is like, I feel happy and I'm happy with. And it, you know, basically saying in the week, that's what we're doing. But if I ask people what does happiness mean to you well let's ask you what does happiness mean to you uh, good good question actually i think it means it means contentment it means something that brings a smile to my face it bring it means a feeling of you know for me a feeling of freedom of being able to choose things um it's probably a bit of an inner feeling as well and i'm just thinking about that it, it's something if something makes me feel happy i feel happy in my relationships i feel happy in my work I'm happy with the work I've done. So, so I think it's a number of different things. Yeah. It's a feeling. Yeah. So the first answer you gave was it's contentment, which is effectively a low energy positive emotion, like right. peace, serenity, you know, uh, a tranquility, contentment can go into satisfaction somewhat, mm-hmm. but it's, and it's, and it's quite low energy and it's reflective. Uh, and then you talked about freedom and some people often say joy is happiness or enthusiasm and, and they're much higher energy. 
And, and really one of the difficulties with the word happiness is we use it to cover this whole spectrum of positive yeah. emotions, which are right the way across there, which I actually find really interesting because it means that, you know, we can be happy in different situations and also people have different styles, which of course is, that is the world, isn't it? Yeah. We are similar, but we are also different. So I, I like the flexibility behind the world and the slight ambiguity in how we how we interpret it yeah it's interesting it's interesting because you talked about advising governments on happiness so i think if we if we then bring that forward into the last few years with regard to looking at happiness in business um so part of my work and, and what i aim to do is you know to engage employees and i talk about engaging employees around a common purpose so that they come to work with their blood sweat and tears rather than just through money all those words around yeah. getting people to really buy into your mission um so there's a parallel between engagement and happiness at some level yeah. If I'm happier, I'm more engaged in my work potentially, or I'm more yeah. engaged in what I'm doing. Where does the where does the, the scientific data stack up to support that argument? Or does it? Well, well, you see, engagement is a relatively recently invented term. It's sort of in the 80s and 90s that people started to talk about engagement at work. Um, mm. Obviously, Gallup are the people that picked up on the most, but lots of people pick up on engagement. Mm. And it, it, it's, it's difficult to define in the sense that psychologically, what is the construct of engagement? I mean, we can talk about flow, you know, which is a, which is a well-researched, you know, uh, area, which is about when you get so absorbed in something that you lose track of time, you know. And I, I think, you know, we sort of know what engagement is, but what I was fine with it, I often say, is that when I ask on a simple scale, how happy are you from very unhappy to very happy, people understand both ends of the scale. They understand what very happy is and they've understand what very when i ask are you how engaged are you very disengaged to very engaged i don't think people know what the top of the scale is particularly it's like do you have to be aware you know available 24 7 to be fully engaged do you have to be fully doing things every minute of every hour you know and and so i think people don't understand the top of the scale and um and so i i happiness is a much more easy to understand i mean you can you can't ask a service provider, whether they're a, 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 a um, you know, a, a barista or a, or a truck driver, you can't say how engaged are you work, but you can say how happy you are, yeah. and they get it. And so you, you really, if you want to have an indicator that you can use, you know, from the shop floor to the top floor, someone put it to me, you know, then then you know, then you you need something that connects everybody and. To be honest, I, I really do think happiness is the word that connects it. It's what we use in our everyday language. So that it becomes much more understandable. And people, you know, when they possibly talk more about relationships for some people, some people it's more about their work, but that's fine. If you're happy, yeah. that's good. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting because we know that um, through the work you've done, you can actually make that correlation between the, the, the level of engagement, but also there's been a lot of work talked about or, or work done recently on uh, happiness and motivation and, and engagement and then growth in business in terms yeah. of value of the business um, and I know you've shown some data around those right, to, to show that correlation yeah do you, do you think this measuring happiness and I'll come on to that in a minute do you think the measuring happiness in a team can then have that bigger impact on the, the top line of the business and the bottom line I do I've seen it happen and I you know I think that we all know we've all had you know all old enough and ugly enough to have had good and bad experiences at work now and it's so much better when you're in a team that you really enjoy working with and you're aligned you know I think you, you talk about alignment that's alignment with purpose it's alignment with profit 
it's you know alignment people aligned with those some people talk about three p's you know people purpose profit you know um getting those aligned is, is the thing and i think that you know in a way teams i'm particularly interested in teams because i think they're sort of the engines of businesses it's where the work gets done and um and it's individuals step into teams so we get that environmental impact that systemic impact teams sit in a broader system so I, I think teams are exceptionally interesting. And so sort of from our data, we think happier teams are 28% more productive. Wow. Well, we, we, we know that they are, um, they had lower staff turnover. You know, they've got better retention because who, who leaves a happy team? Well, you do sometimes, but not less often. You leave, yeah. you leave an unhappy team much quicker. So um, they, they, they start connecting with all and, and innovation and creativity is massively influenced by happiness and collaboration is you know if you like your colleagues you trust them you collaborate better yeah i think that it's interesting actually another book i'm reading at the moment is by um uh, richard wiseman on um, on luck and i think yeah. off the top of my head i think it's called the luck factor um, i have read that it's quite it's a few years old isn't it yes it yeah. is yes yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's another um another one i've got on audible at the moment and i've, I've started reading the the, the the book as well, because I think it's useful to say it. But one thing he's looked at is, you know, the sense of the more happy you feel, the luckier you feel as well. And there's this correlation between the two. And I haven't got to the chapter on how that relates. But I think there is something there. You know, if you're feeling happy, you're potentially going to be a better better state of mind. You're going to get in a better state of life. And actually things will happen that are good for you. And, and I think there's that, that type of thing. And maybe there's a psychological element as opposed to a scientific element to that. Well, there's definitely a linguistic element. So happening, happenstance, happiness are all the same root of word. And so, you know, in sort of medieval times, happiness and luck were thought to be the same thing. You know, you were kind of lucky if you were happy. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, clearly as life has got materially less harsh, you know, we, we, the two have separated out more, but, um, yeah. but yeah, no, so definitely there's, 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 there's links to it. And, I mean, I, I think it's all of those sort of things, isn't it? The harder the work, like the luckier you are, that, you know, that the happy. What, what's definitely for sure is that positive people bring positive experiences towards them. Yes. And that's not some secret, some magic or whatever an American flyweight would want to think it is. It's not magic. It's that it's attraction, you know, in that, you know, of course, you know, if I smile to you, it means you can approach. If I scowl, you stay away. So if I'm a smiling person who's warm, more opportunities are going to come towards me. Doesn't mean to say that some bad luck doesn't come, of course, but, you know, but, um, but, but yeah. And and it's interesting, isn't it? I think it's it's all related in terms of, you know, the happier you are, the better you're going to show up in your team, the better your team's going to perform. Uh, and I know you've got some data around, you know, the, 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 the levels of increase or decrease in happiness and how that affects staff owner. And you mentioned just now, you know, happy teams, 28% more productive. Yeah. And actually, you can see directly from your score as well, by, by a decrease or increase in your happiness score, the more the propensity of people to want to leave the team as well in terms of staff turnover. So therefore, there's, there's that indication of what it's going to do to bottom line growth in a business. If you can get yeah. better teams, Actually, you can get more productive people, and actually, the business is going to do better longer term. Yeah, I mean, this week, this month's happiness is what I call a predictive indicator because it's saying what is now, but it's going to predict how next month is going to be. Okay. Whereas most people indicators are what we call lagging indicators. So you look at how many people have left, and that's telling you what's happened in the past. And of course, you can learn from that. Yeah. But what 
the happiness mirror is tell you what's likely to happen in the future. So it's a great assessment of risk in a business, yeah. you know, in the sense that, you know, that uh, if you've got unhappy teams divisions, you've got risk there. You've got flight risk. You've got innovation risk, you know, lack of innovation. You've got lack of productivity risk. You've even got, I mean, if you really want to get into some of the hard data, if you, you know, if you run um, warehouses and things like that, you've got more theft when people are less happy, you know, of course okay. you have you know you're not going to steal from a company you love but you will from one that you hate you know uh you've got more machine downtime if people enjoy their work more because clearly if they feel cared about as people they care about their machines more and yeah. notice the ticking just not going quite right and start thinking about how to fix it or whatever it is so there's, there's just so many ways that it's there's just very very few negatives i mean some people go oh happiness oh you know people won't work if they're happy and uh, a friend of mine who's a CEO, I think he summed up perfectly. He said, I, he said I, I bought a table tennis table, Nick, right? And I walk in. If there's nobody on there, I think, what a waste of money. If there's someone on there, I think, well, they're not working. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, and, and I think that some people think about happiness as that sort of pizza and yeah. beers and whatever like that, you know. And of course, that is the form of happiness. But actually, that is the form of happiness where we're less productive which is when we're in the sort of amusing, just chatting with people, we're not being as productive in that moment. But what we are doing is building relationships, yeah. which will then be useful. So I, I think of it as like a timeshare, you know, maybe five, 10% of the time is perfect to be spent laughing at work, not 80% of the time, but certainly some, it shouldn't be banned. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think you see this in you, I think, yeah, I've often said to people, I, I work on the on, on two aspects of business, amongst others. I work on cultural and commercial. And commercial is, you know, revenue up, cost down, make the business hum better, make it work like a machine, pump out the numbers, that's it. But if you work on the cultural side of any business, you get the teams working better, you get them to buy into the values, the behaviours, like the flow, people turn up to work because they want to be there, there's a common purpose, got clear vision. And actually, you're going to deliver better commercials longer term, but actually be a nicer place to work as well uh, yeah. and the, the talk i've often give is around you know um, which would you prefer would it be more fun more time less stress or more money and most people come back and say they either want more fun or more time because actually that's the key to it and we know that if you get those things you're going to produce the more money in the long run but it's going to be yeah. more fun doing it in the journey yeah that's the key bit that i see from a happiness perspective and i, I yeah my work is around connecting it to back to purpose and, and yeah. people are a bit overused in terms but my belief is it's still at source the key thing to be doing well it's sort of like a north star isn't it people purpose yeah it is. you know i i you know it, it's you know I, I sometimes get a little confused biologically what purpose is <laughs> it's a narrative isn't it it's a story it's an arc of life story particularly isn't it yeah. And, and I think that we, you know, humans are creatures that tell stories and we tell stories to ourselves. And we have this extraordinary ability to think about the future, which is both amazing and also slightly problematic sometimes. But, um, but um, meaning and purpose, I, I sometimes think about it as like a longer wavelength of happiness in the sense I think of happiness as a wave rather than a particle. And okay. it's not like, it's not like something you get, it's, it's always moving. And so, it can have very short wavelengths, like you can have four moods in a morning and, you know, and then you can have, you know, good and bad decades 
yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like the sort of different wavelengths of the same, in a way, the same thing. It's like saying, you know, in the sense that it's approach avoid, mm-hmm. you know, is that, you know, we're approaching our purpose, aren't we always, you know, we're, we're, we're using it to guide us. And I think that's that longer form of like what we think a good life is. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting, actually, because I, I, I totally agree with you in terms of it, it sets the, sets the context of your life. And I think, you know, for me, I did a lot of work on this word purpose. I mean, it's just a word, but yeah. I just wrote one word and it just said to inspire. Yeah. And that seems very bland in its own right. I, I discovered it over the last 12 years. And there's lots of other things that come off of the back of to inspire. Yeah. But it's a long form view for me, but yeah. also it helps me set the context for every moment I go in, in terms of you know, everything I'm doing, I'm then questioning. Am I able to inspire something out as a result of this? Yeah. And I think that's just set it. And it's something I've, I've spent a long time working on, but I love your view about the long form versus the, the short wavelength. And for me, mm. it does guide the context. And I think if I get stuck in a short wavelength issue, whatever that might mean, mm. I then come back and say, okay, what's the purpose of me being here? Am I inspiring yeah. somebody or myself in something? If not, what do I need to do differently? Yeah. And that means looking at the longer term picture. Yeah. That's, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so, so in terms of Friday Pulse, we, we've got this score. We're scoring each other from, you know, from very unhappy to very happy. We've got a very simple metric. We've got data coming out that can guide people. You've been tracking this over a number of years. And, and one graph you've shown me, which I, I'm intrigued by, is the, the last 17 months as one aspect of it in terms of this COVID pandemic wave, effectively. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that? And it's very hard, obviously, sometimes to talk about the visual, but, but that COVID wave you've seen and how that's been affected. Yeah, I mean, we talked about waves. Of, waves has been all in the language and statistics has been in our language, isn't it, for the last 20 months or whatever it is, you know, like. And, and there's waves on people's experience of life, um, you know, which is that if you, if you, you know, we normally have some ups and downs. Actually, when you look at the happiness of the nation, there's not much change. There's a few seasonal effects. People are happy at Christmas in the summer, you know. But, you know, on a sunny week, people are going to be happier than on, on, in a, mm. a cloudy week, you know, as a general rule. But, you know, okay. but not massive changes. And then, you know, boom, last March comes and you've just never seen all the indicators move as much. Plummets. Drop down. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, so you just see this huge dip last March. And, and it was driven by fear anxiety, disruption. And then, you know, through April and May, you know, I don't remember when we came out the first lockdown, was it, what was it, May, June? Um, and then over the summer, you know, we, we, we had, first we had nice weather last year. Yeah. Uh, we had the eat out to help out scheme, you know, everyone tried to get back into it, you know, and, um, and people got happier. And then yeah. autumn came, another wave of COVID came further restrictions followed by lockdowns and and you see another great dip in people's happiness mm. and um and and more driven by frustration and boredom than fear the first one was driven by fear and anxiety the second one was driven more by frustration and boredom that's interesting particularly okay. particularly when we came to you know the beginning of this year january february march which i personally found the hardest of the lockdowns um you know yeah. We, it was it was it was boring it was winter it was dull it was like oh my god can't go out and we're very social creatures i mean what it really showed us isn't it is how people 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 are people people i mean we yeah. just you know almost without exception I think every, yeah and, and that's what we missed we missed the touch and you know if you look at the stats on how many people you see typically in a day 
pre-COVID it was a 12, it, it went down to three. You know, it's a massive drop. And of course it was the same three people every day. There's lack of variety. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm very lucky. I was locked down with a woman I love. And in fact, I don't need love, so I like her, you know, so it's like quite easy. Um, but, you know, people were locked down in relationships that don't work. They were locked down with children who, you know, who were frustrated and could go outside and homeschooling. So there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of challenge around. And it was didn't fall evenly, didn't fall evenly in any way. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because we so, so, so in some way you've, you've managed to interpret the data and you've got those views around you. The first lockdown drove the fear, anxiety and the disruption, which drove the happiness down. Second one was about the frustration and boredom. Um, and in some ways, you can make some predictions about that. And you, you could probably say, this is what we were expecting to see, because people were unhappy in different ways. Yeah. Um, and and it would be interesting to see how the, whether there's a correlation in terms of those businesses that were the happiest going into, into the lockdown and pandemic, how they fared coming out the other end. And because we know that some businesses have done amazingly well over this last 17, 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. And some have suffered badly. And I wonder if yeah. there's a correlation between the two. I don't know. I'm just wondering that. Well, certainly... We know that happier teams are more resilient. And by that, I mean, they bounce back from shocks more quickly. Yeah. And so actually resilience for me is the shape of a curve, uh, which is that it's, it's how quickly, if you have a setback, do you bounce back and you see that. And if you're measuring it weekly, you can see that. And so, so I, 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 I don't know specifically about um, how quickly happier teams uh, bounce back opposed to unhappy but I know as, a, as all of our clients they bounce back much quicker than the UK data on weekly happiness was doing so you know we, we they bounce back much quicker from the first shock and then actually even more extraordinarily they they didn't experience the second and third waves like the whole UK population did and it's 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 when you're looking at the population survey, you're asking people, you know, who are at work, how have you felt this week? And you, you get an indicator. When you look at our clients, you're saying, you know, how have you felt at work this week? You're in an organization. And basically our clients manage to keep the outside world out for their for their employees. In a sense, you know, not totally, but at work, yeah. they were a bit lower, absolutely, you know, maybe five percent lower on our indicators. Yeah. Uh, on average over the last year, they've had some dips like everybody else, but they were not. They, the, the overall UK was 15, 20% lower. So they did a lot better. Okay. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, it's a bit of a chicken egg thing, isn't it? Because I would surmise that the people who are measuring happiness are those ones who are keen to improve their business and, and are on a journey already. Yes. Those who aren't measuring happiness are never going to be interested in it because they're not sure it will do anything for them. So there's almost that those who are doing Friday Pulse, mm. I would say are the businesses who are really keen to engage employees in yeah. And they're probably putting the right measures in the business to drive a happier workforce. Yeah. So there's a question on my mind, which I'm not sure what the question is, but it's around how do we encourage those who aren't doing it today to do it? And will it change their business by doing it, by measuring it? Or was it just given data to what they already knew? And I'm not sure what the questions I'm asking there, but there's something there. It's just there's niggling in the back there. It might come out another day. But I think all my time about measuring happiness at work you've got some senior leaders, particularly if they're sort of a founder or an owner of a company, they're very proud of their company and they want it to be a happy organization. Yeah. And they're really quite nervous at the first results because they're thinking, oh my God, you know, what happens if they say they're not happy? I think that stops some people doing it at all. You know, yeah. they're worried about Pandora's box. 
nearly always they just find out that people are happier than they thought they were and there's a delight and there's things to pick up and there's obviously difficult teams in any organization you know there's not there's a variety and actually they tend to look at it and go yeah that team isn't happy i know that well you know th- what can you do about that because it's not good for you so it gives people data i mean i mean i have it in my own organization you know literally just a few weeks ago i saw something went wrong in the team because i saw their friday pulse score collapse that week and then you know tuesday morning i asked what's going on we worked out and you know had a meeting worked out what wasn't going right yeah and and the next week they bounced up again but it gives you that data you know so you know and and i i don't know that i would have known it because if you just in sort of general slack channels or emails with colleagues you know even if you're in the same room with them you know they're going to smile at you and say they're fine you know but it's like it just allows them to say actually this is how i really feel and then you can respond to it yeah. And the point is what you said earlier, it's a leading indicator, therefore you've got some evidence to do something about it as opposed to reflecting the rearview mirror, although it's doing both, it's what's happening in the moment and you can then do something about it to, to rectify or just address it. Yeah, I mean, I almost think this is a trick, but I think putting a number on it makes everyone take it more seriously. It's like, here's a number, here's a trend. Wow, I've got to take that more seriously. Where someone comes in and says, oh, I'm not happy, you feel, oh, just go yeah. Yeah, whereas if you've got, oh, wow, you've gone from a you know, 70 as a team to a 45 in a week. Yeah. Whoa, that's yeah. serious now. And that's it's cool. because numbers are the language of business. I mean, it's a definite strategic thing on my side is thinking how can, you know, it's my offering to the world. You know, I don't have every, you know, we all can just do our bit, isn't it? My little quirky skill is creating statistical instruments for reflection. Yeah. And I, you know, I just think it helps people take it more seriously, you know. And I, I first did it. In 99, I know exactly when I did it. I just I just did a little test with a friend. You know, I was on a master's degree about change and you had to do, you know, you had to do a little task and it was about individual change. And, and I created a statistical questionnaire. I mean, everyone thought I was mad on my course because they were doing like, you know, whatever, this type of intervention I did. I'm going to make a questionnaire with numbers and then I'm going to talk to people about it. Extraordinary how powerful it is. Just put some numbers on it, people. Just take numbers. It yeah. Wow. So, so, so interesting. Let's just come around back into this Friday Pulse because, you know, I'd love people to, to go out and try it. And I think, you know, from a, from a point of view of Sparks Baby, we want people to, to look at tips and tools they can take. And I think there's a few things there. One is, you know, put a number on it, it makes it easier to measure. But in terms of Friday Pulse, simple question, how would people go about adopting Friday Pulse into their organisation? Where do they need to look? What do they need to do just to make it happen for them? Yeah, so... Well, FridayPulse.com is what our website is. That's quite easy. <laughs> and this big call to action button saying book a demo or, or watch a demo video. So you can go and watch a demo video and, and, and see it. We have a, we have a for organizations over 50 people, we have a six-week trial, okay. um, free trial. Uh, for under 50, we have what we call startup where you get the first month free. So, you know, it's a sort of credit card thing um, you put in. Um, so it, you you can take you can try it. I mean, it, the best way with with something that's quite new is to try it because I can talk to you about it and I can show you a video, but that's quite a leap still. So 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 we so that's how how you do it. And you know, if you want to have a demo, one of my team will demo it to you. Um, and it's it, as you said, it's it's simple to use. And I think that if it's going to fit into people's busy weeks, if you're going to introduce another tool into people, it's got to add value and it's got to be simple. And so, um, you know, so, so, 
So that's that's the way it's discussed. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's interesting, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the Rockefeller habits. And the number one Rockefeller habit is the executive team is healthy and aligned. And I extrapolate that to say the team is healthy and aligned. Yeah. And for me, what Friday Pulse does for me is help me understand as a business that we're all healthy because actually if we're not saying we're happy, there's either something going wrong that we need to address or we're lying to ourselves or, or just trying to fudge the data. So we've got some indicator there. And the alignment, we can just sit in a room and just say, okay, where are we? What's going on for us? Yeah. So the ports, a lot of the work we do in scaling up around how do we help people become aligned? How do we help them address the issues in yeah. their business before they become issues? And, and I think, as you mentioned just now, getting the data out there, putting it in there, it's easy. If you've got more than 50 people, we've got a six-week trial, just give it a go. Yeah. That's but it. alignment is the magic, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, you know, that's, that's what your job is. That's what my job is. Yeah. Yeah. It's aligning individuals with, you know, their own purpose and the organization's purpose, you know. Yeah. And, it's and sim simple we, as that. It is simple. It, as, as simple to say, not as simple to do, but as simple, yeah. 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 And, 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 yeah, and we, 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 we could have got into another conversation, which we're not going to do now, which I think extrapolates this out to the next level, which is, you know, the word of purpose and meaning, which comes into work. But that's not for today. But I think, to me, Friday Pulse is simple. It gives you data you can use. It's easy to, to, to deploy in the organization and you can make sense of it simply as well. That's the idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, putting words in your mouth. That's a, yeah. Yeah, this, Nick, this has been a, it's been an interesting conversation because I've learned a bit about you in terms of where you, where you come from in terms of your, um, your, your ther therapy at the beginning when you talk about learning therapy and you talked about you know, how you got into this. If you were to give one per, you know, an organization a tip that would help them improve on their journey, what have you seen from the data that you would say, hey, this is what you need to be doing in an organization to help you on that journey to create more alignment, create more engagement? Is there one thing you've seen or two things even? I, I think that excellence is a habit. Yeah. And so it's about, um, I think that's Aristotle, I don't know, anyway, someone. <laughs> excellence is a habit. And I think that it's about doing it every week. It's, it, that's for me, that was the breakthrough when I realized that's why we, we, we renamed the company. When I realized it was a weekly tool, which took me quite a few years to realize that's what it needed to be. You thought, yeah, that's it, because it, it, you, you just need to do that little thing every week, you know, and you need to take care of it. And you also need to accept that people are going to have good and bad weeks. You can't put the pressure on people that, you know, not only have they got to be productive, they've got to be happy all the time. That's sort of like putting even more pressure on them. So I think what you've got to do is respect the fact that we're going to have good and bad weeks and help people have more good weeks. And that's about being being engaged with it every week, you know, as a, as an idea, you, you know, you, you know, as I, I said, um, this week when, when we met, you know, you don't have to use Friday Pulse to do it, but you, you will have to do this every week if you really want to get it involved. And, you know, Friday Pulse is just there to be a guide to do that. But the conversations, you know, are, you know, how was your week last week? You know, what's gone well for you? What do we need to celebrate? You know, we don't celebrate enough, you know, about what's gone well, you know, then appreciate each other enough, enough each. And, and then what's, you know, what's where you stuck? What's frustrating you? So, you know, those are the things that you need to deal with every week. And there's, and work is it's just, you know, it's a cycle, isn't it? It's, you know, eat, sleep, repeat, whatever it is. It's, 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 it's the same as that really, isn't it? It's meet, um, meet, talk about happiness, repeat. <laughs> and, and, and I love that, you know, we, we often talk about meeting rhythm. Exactly that, this is just a rhythm. It gets something yeah. in there. And interesting, your excellence is a habit. I was uh, facilitating an event yesterday in Kuwait and Bahrain and Dubai and Mauritius, which is interesting, sitting at home mm -hmm. in the UK. 
Okay. Um, we're sitting there, and one of the one of the presenters actually had that phrase on his slides that he was presenting around excellence as a habit. Mm. And and I said to him exactly that. You know, it's about when you get that in place, you can start doing things, and just keep doing it. Yeah. Keep, repeat, keep doing, doing the same thing again, which is why I put the rhythms in place. Yeah. Business work better, and actually, it's better for life as well when we know what we yeah. do. It's easier. Um, yeah. I love that. That's a that's a nice way of um, tipping off that excellence habit. Love that. So FridayPost.com, people can come and find it. They can do a six week trial. Yeah. Get it set up into business. It's simple. Uh, Nick, thank you. If people want to connect with you directly, is there a way of finding Nick Marks? Yeah, so you can find me. I spell Nick without a K, which is a quirk of school. Um, so I'm quite easy to find Nick Marks. Me and another guy both had bad handwriting called Nick. So I dropped the K to distinguish myself from him. I don't know what Nick Payne is doing in the world now. That's how I dropped my K because of a guy called Nick Payne. Anyway, he was a nice guy. Uh, anyway, um, uh, so nicknicmarks.org is my website. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn is really, I, I don't use really any other social media very much, but I do use LinkedIn. Um, the only other thing to say is that you can do a free test on your own happiness at work, uh, which is basically uh, just a five minute test on what the, the big things that drive happiness at work. And it's, that's at friday1.com, one O-N-E. And it's just, a, it's just a fun five minute test. So that's well, awesome. Yeah, look at that, that's um, friday1.com. Yeah. Well, yeah. looks like I'm going to look at that. Oh, that's okay. Well, hey, Mark, thank you. The statistician with the soul. It's been great yeah. to talk to you. Thank you. And uh, thank, thank you for the next time the podcast. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, Nick. So that concludes this episode of Sparks. Thanks for listening. We're always looking for ideas on how to drive this podcast forward. So if you've got comments, please leave them via a review of our show, along with your rating, or send us an email to sparks at